0: 30 seconds till touchdown Copy, keep the pod stable, watch the thrusters 15 seconds till touchdown 10 Orange red soil appeared in the small window Dust flung up by the engines 5 seconds 3 seconds Then came a thump and our bodies fell onto our seats Touchdown confirmed Welcome to Mars, gentlemen Thank you, Prometheus. How's the weather today? High of negative 10 degrees, low of negative 99. Wind is blowing south at 15 miles per hour. Damn, that's toasty out there. I think it was negative 24 yesterday. Affirmative. Now on to the mission. My co-captain James chimed in, asking what we were doing on this bloody rock. Well, I'm sure you're aware of Orb YT by now. Y T, or Orbit, was an independent space agency claiming to be private but funded by the government. Its charismatic CEO, Xander Locke, won the second space race and put the first men on Mars. Two weeks later, contact to the Orbit base was lost. Some odd behavior had been reported before and after they lost contact. Odd behavior wasn't unusual from Orbit especially Locke's followers, who stroked his ego to a religious scale. Apparently, radios on the spacesuits would sometimes flicker on. A screech would be heard for a second, and then silence. It sounded more monstrous than abnormal. Something else had been noticed near the base, something equally as terrifying. A black pyramid. We were all more than a little shaken, this sounded like the markings of an alien invasion. But in the end, I grew up dreaming of going to Mars. I would spend hours in my backyard just looking at the stars through my telescope, with Mars being my favorite. The twinkling of the white, blue, and silver dots peppered across the sky on a sheet of nothing. The familiar red shape sticking out like a pimple on a face. When I was assigned to the Prometheus base, I wished dearly that I could go down there just once. My dream had come true along with the dreams of my crewmates, James Dunn, a beer-chugging British lad, and Kyle Cromwell, a rookie chemical engineer and expert marksman. When the pod doors slid open and the stairs unfurled, I was the first to set out. I could hear Neil Armstrong in my head saying those words that were ingrained into the minds of all of humanity forever. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And I repeated that mantra to myself as I felt the interstellar dirt crack and crunch beneath my boots. We got to work trotting across the landscape. My electric rifle held firmly in my arms with my fingers on the trigger. It felt somewhat like being in a desert, nothing but hills, rocks, and dirt. The sky was not Earth's deep blue, but a slightly greenish white. I knew I wouldn't be able to dwell upon my childhood dreams coming true, as I had to find out what the hell was going on here. After around 30 minutes of walking, and occasional checkups with Prometheus, a black tip, triangular in shape, Appeared in the horizon. The curvature of the planet didn't make it all appear at once, but as we continued walking, the black grew larger in the horizon. It was totally black, as black as space itself. The sunlight, not much less intense here than it is on Earth, did not reflect off the object at all, showing it was not made of any reflective material. We spoke about what it could be made of, and why it was so close to the orbit base, that one being under the moniker Ares. Obsidian was considered, but that rock is usually polished and gleamy. This was a deep, flat texture, dull and lifeless. We thought it could be carbon fiber, which can be black and incredibly resilient, but this was ruled out because of its jagged surface, of which this had none. It was perfectly smooth, no bumps or ridges whatsoever. The shape became a pyramid made of pure, uninterrupted black. Blacker than a blank screen. Blacker than any coal or any burn. Blacker than anything I'd ever seen. Some would say there's no scale for how dark something could be. But this was so dark and blank that it seemed as though someone had taken out a section of reality itself, It was almost blinding how absent it was, but we were drawn to it like moths to a lamp. Prometheus wouldn't tell us anything other than what it looked like, as they didn't know anything either. Dunn asked Cromwell, whose scientific background was more rounded than his, what it could be made of. Cromwell had no clue, saying it couldn't be any kind of stone, glass, or carbon that he knew of. We clutched our rifles tighter in our fists. The pyramid was about half a mile behind Ares and stood around a hundred feet tall, much taller than Ares or any other known Martian structure. No footage from the base showed anything like this. We also noticed that the ground around us was completely flat. We knew that they would have had to make space to be able to operate drones and ships, but this seemed excessive. The entire ground of the planet for almost a mile was completely and utterly flat. No pebble, no ice, not even loose dirt. More worryingly, there was no one there to greet us. Ares had been deserted out of nowhere. Cromwell's breathing became quicker, unable to think of any logical explanation for what he was seeing. Dunn shot this down, saying that this was illogical by nature. Prometheus came in and asked us what we were seeing, and I let them see the pyramid in its full nightmarish glory. They told us, once again, that they knew nothing about what it was made of, why it was there, or who had made it, only that we had to see if anyone was still at Ares and to investigate the pyramid. Dunn refused to go anywhere near it, saying that this looked like something out of a bad alien movie. He would stay in Ares while we took a look around. Before that, we investigated Ares to see what was left of the orbit team. We found the primary airlock to the base and rang the alarm a few times, but no one responded. The doors were shut too tightly to be opened with a crowbar, but the next set of doors were looser and could be forced aside. We cut a hole in the door with a handsaw and climbed into the building. Then patched it up as best as possible, so when we opened the main doors, the air wouldn't all rush out. After that was done, we opened up the second set of doors with a crowbar. The interior was pitch black, so we turned on our helmet lamps to get a look around. Objects and liquids were strewn all over the floor. Glass, paper, bits of steel and plastic, oil, what looked to be a vase or two and a red liquid. It didn't take us long to realize that this red liquid was human blood. Clearly, there had been a skirmish of some sort that we didn't know of. When we turned our helmet lamps up to maximum power, we saw bloodstains on the walls. Everything made of glass aside from the windows was shattered and spread across the floor. Those windows were, however, stained with blood, and scratches stretched down the entire pane. There were no animals on Mars, that we knew of, so there's no way they could have been made by anything but another human. But as we searched the place, guns drawn and loaded, we found nothing organic. Nobody was there. Relaying this to command, they told us to look for human remains while they tried every calm of every person who was there just to be sure nobody was left behind. But as we looked around, we found no human remains other than blood. Surely, there'd be a few body parts and what appeared to be a rather violent scuffle, but there was nothing. Nothing solid was left. Or so we thought. Cromwell called me to come take a look at something, his voice cracking and his throat full. I made my way back to the main entrance and over to where the majority of the claw marks on the walls were. Dunn was gagging, about to vomit in his helmet from what he'd seen. It looked like nothing at first, but then he pointed where the wall met the ground. Cromwell stood totally still, staring at the floor in silence. I ran my hand along the linoleum and found bits of pink and white plastic-like material and it looked like the exoskeleton of a bug. Fingernails. They clawed the walls, presumably the windows as well, until their fingernails were nothing. There was some relief, admittedly, as we knew that our enemy was likely human. But this also meant that something truly barbaric, animalistic, had to have happened for people to forcibly declaw themselves I turned my attention to the papers scattered across the floor, hoping that they'd tell us something. I gathered all the ones in the main entrance up and put them on the table and flipped through them quickly, skimming each one for relevant information. The first few said nothing interesting, just some legal or scientific documents, but then I found one that was distinguishable from the others. A white page with a few words at the top. He has come. We must be ready. What could this mean? I mean, who is he? Locke? Someone else? For that matter, who is we? After a few more unexciting reports about scientific mumbo-jumbo I didn't understand, there was another mostly blank page. Xander told us to build it. For him we must. For Locke we flock. Now I knew this must be in reference to the pyramid. And it was certain now that he was their boss, Xander Locke. I continued to look through them and found that they were becoming more and more incomprehensible. For Locke we flock, for Locke we flock, for Locke is God. None of this looked the slightest bit normal or professional. It felt like something you'd see written as a joke or the chant of a cult. But the next page shook me to my core because the pyramid made up a large portion of the page. The Church of Locke, blueprints and construction details. Now, I'm no scientist, I'm just an ordinary space marine, just here to keep order, not to make discoveries. But from what I could make out, the pyramid was made out of some sort of rock. I gave it to Cromwell to see if he could figure it out and he said that he recognized none of the materials listed. They were something of a different field of science altogether. The formulas used to create them, the components, the different combinations of different liquids, solids, and beyond. Others seemingly nonsensical and near impossible to obtain, like yellow plastic and antimatter. The antimatter detail was the most concerning, as it's obscenely dangerous to work with and equally as hard to create cromwell pored over the notes desperately trying to connect everything but he couldn't he muttered to himself quickly in an unintelligible science jargon that made no sense to me his finger traced around the formulas written out in random places although they may not have been random i was never a mathematician either I could barely make out anything it says. Maybe a few terms like radius, hydrophobic, or hell, radioactive. And Cromwell stood back and simply said, this shouldn't exist. Dunn asked what he meant by that. And the young man went into a rant about how none of these elements, calculations, formulas, and so on and so forth should create anything certainly not anything that we know of dunn shook his shoulders roughly to snap him out of it saying that what it was made of didn't matter only who made it and why the who was obvious xander Locke. i took cromwell with me to investigate the prism with dunn staying at the base in case anything happened to us How could they build something like this without it getting leaked to the media there's live feeds all over the place surely one of them would have seen something and how long did it take to construct it what is it supposed to be we were mainly transfixed on its color black once again it was so dark that the human mind couldn't register it it looked like a triangular hole in reality from the sides, it didn't even look like a pyramid, but a solid triangle with no slants or vertices, just a solid black spot in the sky, the horizon and the ground. As we got closer, the temperature dropped. From negative 20 to negative 30 to negative 40 degrees Celsius, and continuing to go down further, we had to turn the heating units in our suits the full power to make it tolerable. A human could die in a minute, or seconds without a suit on i occasionally glanced at cromwell to see how he was doing and with each step his legs rattled more and his rifle grew more unsteady we sent messages to command multiple times on the temperature drop but the reason behind that was classified hell this thing never even showed up on the radar we found out later it was like it didn't exist. I considered myself level-headed and not particularly susceptible to fear, but even I was starting to crack. I didn't know what we were up against. Had they met aliens? Had they created a shrine of incomprehensible magnitude for their false god? No possible motive made any sense. We noticed the small white spot on the base of it, and we figured it was a door of some kind. We decided to head towards it as it was the first discrepancy we had seen on an otherwise darkened plain. When we reached the white spot, which, sure enough, was a small door, it was at a negative hundred degrees Celsius. We shook not just from fear, but from the cold piercing through our suits. In the last few feet, it declined fifteen degrees a step. The ground remained completely flat and looked to continue like this for at least another quarter mile. Think of salt flats, but with dirt, totally packed in with no bumps, rocks, plants, or anything that could break it. Cromwell ran his hand along the surface. He said it felt of nothing. There was a bit of weight, but it was so minute that it felt like he could be pushing right through it. It was so cold that it felt like it was burning. Our suits could barely withstand the extreme temperatures, so we knew our visit would be short. I could tell Cromwell did not want to go inside, but that wasn't an option. We had to know why this was happening. The door was more of a hatch really, it wasn't anything special, just a standard steel hatch with a black rubber handle something so ordinary on something so extraordinary left just another question we could never answer the door was surprisingly unlocked and opened with minimal effort i poked my rifle inside just in case and then i placed the leg inside and prepared to jump down as there was a small drop from the doorway i motioned to cromwell to follow and while he did it slowly he obeyed when we landed We turned on our helmet lamps, as it was extremely dark inside. Not a single light was present on the walls or the ground, which were both made of the same material as the exterior. When we looked around, all I saw was our lamps radiating against more darkness, with nothing in sight. I looked at the floor and saw only the Martian dirt. We felt around for some sort of wall to follow along with. But there were no walls. This looked like a totally empty room, like it was unfinished. Till I stepped on something. It cracked beneath me and I instinctively pointed my rifle at it, only to see it was a bone, and it was a femur bone at that. I slowly looked up and saw what looked to be church pews, and waved at Cromwell to come with me. His ankles looked like they were about to fall off of his body from how badly he shook. A few heads appeared above the pews, and when I turned to them, I saw a row of bodies, all in their orbit standard-issue spacesuits, their helmets at their feet, and their heads a frozen red-brown mass. A shotgun sat in each of their laps, Cromwell was hyperventilating, whining at a high pitch in terror. Each pew onward was the same, around a dozen orbit crew members having blown off their own heads in pieces, laying back in their seats with frozen blood stuck to the wooden pews. How they got wood up here, I'll never know. But then I heard Cromwell scream and fall to the ground. He writhed on the dusted floor, his helmet and his hands which pounded against the glass, not understanding what he was looking at. I turned my attention to the front of the church, to the very thing Cromwell saw. A black X-shaped cross was at the front, a humanoid form was attached to it. He wore black jeans, a black t-shirt, and his arms were pale white from the cold, it was so frail that his bones broke through his paper-thin skin. Long, aluminum pikes kept him pinned to the cross by his feet and hands, along with one more that went right through his stomach, impaling him completely. I looked at his face and saw that his eyes had been removed. Two black holes in their place, and he had a smile carved into his maw. The short, coiffed, blonde hair was the final sign. The one they flocked to had been made into a sacrifice. We were born to bloom. Destined and tested re-array. No beauty in plastic flowers. we